Hello everyone and welcome to the School for CEOs Leadership Insights podcast. Today's episode features evolutionary behavioural biologist Dr. Mari McLeod. Here we take a scientific view on how our ancestral past has nurtured diverging evolved behaviours and also different expectations of men and women in society today. Mari draws on her experience studying animal behaviour in different species to suggest the practical steps that we can take as individuals and organisations to create an environment where both men and women can thrive. I'm Gemma Soul, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So hello and welcome to the School for CEOs podcast and today I'm delighted to have with me evolutionary biologist Mari McLeod. Mari, welcome. Thank you very much, it's lovely to be here with you. Mari, I think you'd be better placed to explain what you do than than I would be. Um, So you're an evolutionary behavioural biologist. What does that mean exactly? Well, what I do is I look at behaviour through an evolutionary lens. Um, why do we do the stuff we do? What's the ultimate reason? Why is that behaviour evolved? You know, why are we attracted to certain kinds of people? Where do our motivations come from? And generally it comes down to the fact that in our ancestors, the behaviours that we have were good for helping them reproduce and having their children survive and go on to reproduce themselves. In other words, we're all designed really for having babies, even if we, we haven't decided to have them. Basically, we all come from a, a long, unbroken line of ancestors who were good at reproducing and surviving if that weren't the case we wouldn't be here they wouldn't be our ancestors so we'll have inherited some of those tendencies and that means a lot of our behaviours and motivations even nowadays are still around reproduction and survival obviously nowadays we can choose not to have babies because we have contraception but that doesn't mean that we stop behaving in those ways so for example we might think of women's preferences when it comes to men you know we liked we like healthy good-looking well-built men just because you decide you don't want to have babies at the moment doesn't mean that you don't find those kind of guys attractive you know that that feeling is still there so basically in my work I look at our evolved behaviors and motivations and preferences and see where that knowledge can be applied in a useful way so that's what I do so you're working in with human beings now but you actually started your work with animals didn't you yes um i'd love to talk a little bit about that so you did your phd study on monkey behavior in south africa that's right yeah i was studying um the reproductive strategies of samango monkeys in south africa that was an amazing experience i feel very privileged to have done that so i spent two years following troops of samango monkeys around the forest next to a beautiful subtropical beach so it wasn't too bad (laughs) and I found lots of interesting things. The species of monkey had been studied in other parts of Africa before, different subspecies, so it's slightly different. But I went out to South Africa with the knowledge that this species lives in troops with one adult male, who's supposedly in charge, um, and lots of, lots of adult females and the youngsters. But what I came to realise when I was following the monkeys around and recording the behaviour was that Underneath the sort of surface structure, things can be quite surprising. So I would follow the the individual monkeys and sort of see where they went, whether they sort of stayed in the middle of the troop or went elsewhere. And what I found was, as I was struggling through the undergrowth to follow individual female monkeys, I would find them going off and meeting up with other males on the outside of the troop, far away from where the, the troop adult male could see them. 
And um, this happened in one of one of my study trips in one of the mating seasons. And so basically, these these female monkeys they were going off and they were pouting their lips at these other males. They were Outrageous. showing their bottoms and they were making it very clear what they had in mind. And um, you know there was nothing that the troop male could do about it because he you know he couldn't sort of look after it and defend all the females at once. So what happened in that mating season was that gradually other males started congregating around the troop because the females were behaving in this way. It became a multi-male troop for a while, which was very unusual. And and then eventually the old guy got kicked out by the other males and then the, the males that were there, they competed for who was the most dominant and then that guy took over as the troop male from then on. But what struck me was although it looks on the outside as if the males are in charge, actually the females in that situation were the ones exerting their power of choice. They decided that they'd have had enough of the old guy, they wanted some new blood in, and they made it happen. And it just sort of shows that in spite of outward appearances, a lot of groups can have females with a lot more power and influence than it seems at the surface, and I think that's probably true of a lot of human organisations and, and groups as well. So I think that's an interesting finding. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, how, so you started studying animals. How did that lead into working with human beings? How did your work evolve? Um, well, what happened was I came back one time from field work um, back to the UK, and I started having babies, and that wasn't really very compatible with doing field work, obviously. So I had to find a more kind of family-friendly way of working. So what I decided to do was, um, you know, carry on keeping up with my academic contacts and going to conferences and things. But um, I started uh, being a, a science writer, a freelance science writer, writing okay. about behaviour. First of all, it was mostly animals that I was writing about, but then moved on gradually more and more to human behaviour. And so basically for the last 15 years, I've been writing as a freelancer. And I've just found that I've accrued a massive amount of knowledge about human behaviour that's actually really useful in you know, different aspects of life. For instance, I started running workshops and also doing one-to-one consultations for people around romantic and sexual relationships, helping them through uh, a knowledge of how we've evolved to behave and what our preferences are and what people find attractive, using that knowledge to, to help people with their relationships and finding a partner and such like. And I've also been more recently helping organisations with increasing gender diversity and this is around using an understanding of why men and women have evolved to behave or have different motivations in, in different ways, slightly on average. So, so that's been, been really interesting too. Mm-hmm. And what drives the key differences in behaviour between men and women in society? Well, uh, first of all, I should say that the differences between men and women, they're not hard and fast. So that there are some differences in behaviours and motivations on average between men and women. But it's not all men or all women. So if we take a, a kind of physical example of differences, no one would argue about the fact that men tend to be taller than women. But obviously not all men are taller than all women. There's yeah. a huge amount of variation across the board in both men and women with lots of overlap. And we find exactly the same with behaviour. But there are average differences um, in some respects, and they've come about because of different needs and pressures in our our evolutionary past. So, for example, men have evolved to take more risks than women. That's because it's benefited them more. Men who can take risks, become dominant over other men, 
basically they get more sex. They get more sexual access to women. They become more sexually attractive. They can get the other guys out of the way. So that behaviour has passed on down through the generations to men today who still tend to be more inclined to take risks than women are. For women, it's been about survival and about survival of their children. It hasn't really benefited women in our ancestral past. They haven't become more sexually attractive through taking risks in the way that men have. And also, you know, if, if a woman takes risks and she gets injured or she dies, then her children might die, mm. certainly in ancestral times anyway. So the differences persist today and to some extent. We see it coming out in different ways. For example, men and women compete with those of their own gender in slightly different ways to each other. So men are very overt in their competition. They're not afraid of shouting about their achievements and talents and, and men are more aggressive on average, they're more likely to be violent. Women don't do that kind of thing. It's too risky. So women have to compete with each other because we need the same things. But we do it in such a way as, you know, it's kind of under the radar. We're not really competing or we're pretending we're not competing. We don't want retaliation. So women's competition takes the form of maybe talking behind each other's backs, maybe socially excluding women that we don't, you know, get along with. Um perhaps not cooperating well with women who are at different um, level of seniority to us. You know, you get the Queen Bee effect and things like mm. that as a way of competing as well. And I think in, in many organisations today that have been designed and are run by men, these ways of competing that women have, they can often produce a lot of difficulties for women. So, so what I try to do is, is find ways that using our knowledge of how women behave and what context they do certain things and we can change the circumstances to suit women better so yeah that's fascinating what can do with that knowledge <laughs> so I mean you mentioned at the start there you're making massive generalizations not all women are going to be t- shorter than all men for example yeah. being one of them so what do you notice when you see women displaying male behaviors and vice versa male perhaps using more female oriented um influ- influencing techniques? Um, I think men and women who go against the grain can quite often face a backlash. Um, okay. Particularly women who try to fit in with a man's way of doing things by being more assertive, by being more aggressive. They get branded as bossy or strident mm. or whatever. People have come to expect women to be a certain way and men to be a certain way. So what seems to happen is there are differences on average, small differences on average. So, for example, women tend to um, have higher levels of empathy. They need to understand other people's intentions and emotions better. It's partly because of the way we compete. So women tend to be more empathetic. People come to expect them to be that way. They come to expect them to be the the caring people. Of course, not all women are like that, but when women don't conform to the way they're supposed to be then that can cause problems for the women but there are ways that women can get around this kind of conflict between their their gender identity and their professional identity so by looking at role models people women that that do combine the two things really well I mean if you think of Michelle Obama she's a great example of somebody that you couldn't say she's not feminine she she's but she talks really strongly about female issues about family but she's comfortable in her femininity and she's not conflicted in any way she's not trying to be something she's not but she comes Mm. across really well 
Christine Lagarde, she's, she's another example. Yeah. She's a very powerful woman, head of the IMF. And, but she's also very chic. You know, she is French after all. Um, and she, she's very strong in what she says, but she, she makes her female side her selling point. She doesn't try to hide it. And I think she advocates that for other women too. So I think it's about being comfortable with being a woman and not trying to change things. Do show your caring side. Do smile. Do behave like a woman. Don't be afraid to do that. But be persistent. Be strong in what you're asking for. And don't be afraid to to ask for what you're worth. That's what I would suggest to women in that situation. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the backlash there. We've just done a piece of research on imposter feeling among senior, senior leaders and... We found that actually authenticity, those who had a high sense of imposter feeling, felt that it was really difficult for them to be authentic at work because they were constantly putting on an act and putting on some kind of mask and acting the role that they thought they ought to be playing. And that was actually really challenging and affecting their performance and their ability to lead. Yeah, you can't really do well if you're you're acting. No. People see through that. Yeah, yeah, you have to, to be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So... These behavioural differences between women and men, would you say they're largely genetic or I'm getting, I'm getting the sense that you believe that they're learned from societal norms and expectations? Perhaps. Well, I think it's a combination of the two. Okay. Um, gender differences have their roots in biology. You know, that can be genetic or it can be that men and women have the same genes but different genes are being switched on and off um, oh. and that is mediated through hormones which are different in men and women. Um, but even if the differences have their roots in biology, this interacts big time with our environment, our social norms and expectations. But the hallmarks of humans is our flexibility. We're very able to respond to changes in our environment. So, for example, as I've mentioned already, men more than women pursue status because through the ages that behaviour has made them more attractive, um, it's benefited them, they get more sex. Mm-hmm. Um But of course men only do this if it's an option for them. If we move towards organisational structures that are less hierarchical, more inclusive, men's behaviours will change because they have to. Um, And women's talents will be allowed to come to the fore more because research shows that women are more likely to apply for leadership positions if it's a a flatter organisational structure with more inclusiveness in decision making. women more naturally have that approach and so it's going to attract more women and once you get more women into positions of leadership it'll have a kind of snowballing effect because then more women will want to join as well so it's it's all about you know the different forms of leadership that there are you know prestige leadership versus dominance leadership yes and I'd love to ask you about that because uh, you talked before about different types of monkeys chimpanzees and bonobo monkey uh, representing two different styles of leadership um and uh, these two uh, types of monkey one's male-led and one's female-led that's right um so tell me a bit about these two communities and have you observed any similarities in human-led organizations Mm -hmm. um well i have to just tell you right from the start chimpanzees and bonobos are apes oh sorry (laughs) i I saw i saw you flinch as soon as i said that as well (laughs) don't worry um yeah chimpanzees and bonobos they're actually our closest relatives in the animal kingdom both of them equally so um chimpanzees you know most people will be familiar with them on david attenborough programs and 
Basically, in chimpanzees, the males are in charge. They're very aggressive and they fight with each other. They're totally dominant over the females and, you know, they rule through their dominance and, you know, the males who, you know, are in charge, they get sort of priority of access to females, that kind of thing. Bonobos, although they look very similar to chimpanzees, they have a completely different set of behaviours. In bonobos, the females are the ones that have the power and the influence. And the reason why it's different in, in bonobos is it's because females form alliances. They, the, the females get together and because they do that they can outrank the males and then they lead and influence the group in a peaceful way. It's a much more peaceful kind of setup with bonobos. They're, they're known as the apes that make love not war. You know, they yeah. like to cement their relationships with a, a bit of sex, you know, whether okay. it's male, male, female, female, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of, of humans, I think we can learn a few things from bonobos. Um, you know, maybe not the sex stuff because that you can't really do that at work. But <laughs> yeah, um, certainly the female alliances. But humans have evolved two different forms of leadership: um, prestige leadership and dominance leadership. So prestige leadership is where you lead, you know, through example because you have the experience, you have the knowledge, um, and people follow you because of that. That's kind of how bonobos do it, um, at least a lot of the time. And it's also how hunter-gatherers do it. And hunter-gatherers are sort of the closest we've got to our ancestral state. Um, you know, uh, hunter-gatherers live in small groups that are much more egalitarian than most groups in humans. And it's a prestige form of leadership there where, you know, the person in charge tends to be the one with the knowledge. Then dominance leadership... That's um, a bit more like chimpanzees, where it's the, the kind of most powerful individuals that are in charge by telling everyone what to do and you know throwing their weight around. Dominance leadership in humans came about relatively recently in human history, basically with the advent of agriculture, then even more so with industrialization, and that's because that allowed people to you know stockpile resources. And so the most powerful individuals who could stockpile the resources had the most power. Um, they, it was usually men. It bought into the psychology of men and you know they could get the most sex, basically, again. That's what it comes down to, ultimately, maybe not consciously. Um, and you know the way that um, organisations work nowadays, and that goes for big companies, for the military, for governments... They have a dominance form of leadership where you have a hierarchy with the top dog at the top telling it, you know, and gradually everyone getting told what to do by those above them. But things can change and we can move towards a more prestige-based system nowadays. We're actually at a perfect time in history to do this because we have the technology to communicate far more easily through social platforms. We don't have to have a formal hierarchy to, in order to coordinate behaviour within an organisation. So we can begin to move towards less hierarchical structures with more equality, more inclusivity. Some companies are doing this. And ones that spring to mind are Semco, Gore-Tex. They seem to have a flatter organisational structure. But any company can do that by having more transparency around decision-making, having bosses being held accountable for what they're doing, paying attention to the individual qualities that people have and letting them do things in their way. And crucially, we can get more women into positions of influence, then we'll be moving more naturally towards a, a prestige-based system because that's naturally how women like to behave. 
Um, so, you know, going back to the bonobos, we should be like them rather than be like chimpanzees. So I think it's definitely possible for organisations to move to a more prestige-based style. And that's going to be better for everyone because yeah. it then lets us attend to our evolved needs of you know, autonomy, being able to make decisions you know, for ourselves and our work, being able to have a, a feeling of competence, being respected for our talents, and also being able to attend to our social and family relationships. These are all our things that are really important to humans, and if a company is going to be successful, we really need to take account of these things. Mm. And unconscious bias is another really interesting one, I think. So thinking about inclusion from a gender perspective, how much of the challenges around inclusion are created because of unconscious bias, both from women and men, in terms of what they might be able to achieve professionally? Mm. what they think they might be able to achieve? Well, I think, I think there definitely is unconscious bias around um, what men and women should be doing. Um, and I think, you know, we start off with small biological differences which can then get amplified by societal pressures, as we've already been talking about. Mm. And then people come to expect men and women to behave in a particular way and conform to the average. But, of course, not everyone is average. You know, you, you have... Some women that behave much more in a, in a much more male typical way, and vice versa. But um, I think we can't change people's biases just by telling them that they have them, that they exist, and that they shouldn't do that. You know, that's not going to stop it from happening. We have to change the culture of an organisation in such a way that people want to behave differently. You know, that's the crux of it. People have right. to want to behave differently, and I think in order to do that, we have to harness people's evolved motivations so I think that's that would be the way to do that what can men do to help women move forwards I think one of the biggest things that men can do is to support and encourage women who support women you know we've talked about the idea that to help women move forwards we need to form alliances strong female networks some women don't feel inclined to do that. You know, women seem to vary in, in their propensity for helping other women. And so you get the queen bees, but you also get the very, very supportive um, female leaders. I think, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, you know, some women are bad or, and some women are good, but I think there's a perception among some women that because there seem to be few positions for women in, in the top, that they have to compete with other women and therefore mm. not support them. And I think men need to get involved in this. Men need to help women help other women basically and what can organizations do to accelerate gender equality at work well i think we need to do what we were discussing earlier Mm. as in moving towards a more prestige-based organizational structure because that's going to encourage more women to step into positions of leadership and influence and as i said that should have a snowball effect in attracting more women so we can take lessons from our bonobo sisters in that one and f- form female alliances because this will help women support each other up into positions of influence. So we can facilitate the formation of strong female networks. That's, that's a really important thing for organisations to do. The other important thing, something completely different, is providing well-funded parental care for men as well as women. And that should be ring-fenced so that it can't be transferred from one to the other. The reason I say that is because if you have shared parental leave, then 
often there's a kind of again cultural pressure on men not to take it not to take it away from women um, they might feel that if they take time off from work they won't be regarded as serious about their jobs and they might then face a backlash but in countries such as Scandinavian countries where mm-hmm. they have ring-fenced paternal leave father's leave it's either use it or lose it they tend to use it they have a much bigger uptake you have senior men taking it giving a good example a good role model to other men if you can produce a culture where people have a very positive attitude towards hands-on fathering and think that's a good thing because it is in loads of ways then there'll be so many knock-on benefits for the organization so it's going to be good for fathers because they get to spend time with their kids um it's going to be good for mothers because there's going to be more gender equality not just because they have more time to spend on their careers but because if fathers are taking time off for a sick child or taking a parental leave then flexibility stops being a women's issue and starts being a business imperative it's it's the same for everybody it also you know having that kind of culture will also reduce sexism and sexual harassment i like to sort of compared to animals and if you look at animal species that have paternal care fathers caring as well as mothers there's far less aggro between the males and far more cooperation between males and females so you can move towards a situation where you have a lot more respect between men and women they're on the same page they're trying to do the same thing and that will move you towards an organization where everyone's needs are being catered for and it's going to be win-win all around absolutely Marie, that's been absolutely fascinating and I particularly love drawing the comparison from the animal kingdom into yeah. um, our society. Can, just, just to wrap up, can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing at the moment to help organisations? Uh, I do various things. So I, I go into organisations and give keynote talks at events and conferences and things. I can also work with smaller groups in the form of workshops so that we can look at specific issues to that organisation and you know, work through what an evolutionary approach can suggest about best ways to move forwards. I'm also still looking at the romantic and sexual relationship side of things, so I do one-to-ones with people to help them there, you know, either in person or by video link, and we do workshops with that as well. So I do a whole pile of different stuff to help people using this evolutionary approach because it works. It's great. <laughs> Mary. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the School for CEOs Leadership Insights Podcast with host Gemma Soul and guest speaker Mary McLeod. It was really interesting understanding how our ancestral past influences the roles we play today. But what was most powerful for me was the practical steps organisations can take to change the circumstances to suit women better in a move towards a more prestige-based system, which is more inclusive. I also enjoyed the reminder that humans are flexible and despite our ancestral past, we're able to change and flex to our environment. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you'd like to learn more about our guest speaker, you can visit Mari's website on www marimacleod.com that's m-a-i-r-i m-a-c-l-e-o-d there you can find out more about what she does and also read some great blog articles
If you'd like to hear other episodes, you can find our podcast through our website on www.schoolforceos.com forward slash thought hyphen leadership. It's also available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for School for CEOs Leadership Insights. Thanks for listening and see you soon.